Kanichiwa. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And I got a cold again. Oh, man, what do you do? Are you, like, going around to, like, public schools and sucking snot out of kids' nose? Dude, I'm telling you, I, I, I mentioned to you yesterday when you showed up at my house, I'm about ready to put my kid in homeschooling because this is just ridiculous. He catches every little thing, and then I get it. What was funny is you said that, and your wife was in the background feeding your child, <laughs> and she goes, yeah, you homeschool him. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, she- <laughs> Oh my gosh! You know, I, I think see it now. I think you the, know, you you've got you've got Luke with like a little suit and tie on, and you got you know Mac. You know, she's got like a little business suit on for women, and you're teaching them. Okay, now this is how we crush our competition, Luke <laughs> and Mac. Pay attention to Daddy. I and I can't get up. That's all I'm saying. So He's we've so cool. we've added a few new sound effects, like uh, where's the beat? You know, some good classic ones like that, like a little weird. And, and that one is an age indicator. You're old if you know what that is. You know what's funny, man, is I keep seeing stuff like that. Like I watched a video th- this week on uh, trying to show these kids, like high school age, almost college age kids, a Windows 95 computer. And they're like, okay, um, first turn on the computer. And the kids are like, all right, you know, there's a problem when the monitor is bigger than the computer itself, which was funny because <laughs> wasn't that like the way our computers were? I mean, it was oh, just totally. And they're like, is this the button? And it's like the monitor button. And they're like, nope, it's not turning on. You got to hit another button, like two buttons. It's just mind blowing to them. <laughs> Stuff didn't happen automatically back then. And then they're like, how do you get on the internet? What, what do you mean there's no Wi-Fi? Like, that's like the worst thing. This one girl actually says this. That's the worst thing that could happen to you today is you'd go somewhere and there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> do you remember uh, when you would put a disc in? And well, that's the thing. Would... They're like, this has those floppy disk things, right, that we heard about? <laughs> yeah. Remember when you get you go to, like, Walmart, right, and you would pick up the CD? And the only reason I know this is because... I think I was a, a missionary. I came home for something, and they had um, the Walmart Star Wars CD, what and do you mean, Star it was something CD? like AOL, and it had Star Wars on it. Oh, so I bought okay. it. Had free stuff on it, like Dancing Stormtroopers. It was really cool. But anyways, I remember being impressed, sticking that into the CD-ROM drive, and it automatically started it up. And I remember going, "Whoa!" Like you didn't have to click anything; it was auto start. Yeah, when someone tried to explain to them that it would take like eight CDs or eight uh, discs to install Windows, they're like, "What do you mean? You don't just <laughs> click a button and it installs?" <laughs> like it was, it was pretty funny. Oh man, man, you know, it just goes to show that our forefathers were so much tougher than us, and we're so much tougher than those coming behind us. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, probably. You work for the railroad, Grandpa? I work for no man. Got a name, do you? I have no name. 
Well, that right there may be the reason you had difficulty finding gainful employment. You see, in the mart of competitive commerce. <laughs> My favorite quote ever. Oh. I, I love that that's one of your favorite quotes. And I thought that was a horrible movie. I cannot stop laughing. That movie grows on you like a fungus. You just have to watch it. You know what's funny is we're watching um, or we're playing that uh, that clip from who's the, you know, where's the beef? And uh, that the the only person I, I just picture the guy in in the mission field who wrote us a review. He's in the Marshall Islands. I just picture him going, finally, you guys make a pop culture reference. I get because that's how it is when you're a missionary. You don't understand what stuff is. I remember being overseas and coming home and iPods had just come, on, come out. I see these people with these white things coming out their ears, these cords, kind of like a Walkman, but it's like an earpiece. And I'm on the mission field. I have no clue. I'm like, people are jogging with it. Like, what is that thing? Is that like a, a heart monitor? Is it a, a what, what is it doing? People are like, no, dude. It's an iPod. And I had no clue what that was. You can put a thousand songs in your pocket. <laughs> or if you're Pete, three songs. I think it was like, uh, yeah, because there's, I got the power, right? Um, what's ice, the ice, baby. Up the volume. Ice, 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 baby. Yeah, yeah. got to have ice, ice, baby. Yeah, yeah. You got those couple ones. And, uh, and then I yeah. have Eye of the Tiger. So. Oh, yes, yes. I love it now when Luke gets in my car. He's like, Dad, do you have your phone? I want to hear Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> I'm like, so I've boy. got my daughter um, trained. That uh, Cochise uh, is one of the best uh, rock and roll songs of all time. She'll go, Dad, put on Cochise. That's one of the best rock and roll songs of all time. I love how we get to totally warp our children's minds at this stage in their life. I know. I'm making a little audio slave fan. And then then she also has Taylor Swift. And I got to admit, Taylor Swift is in my iTunes now. Like, that's what happens when you have girls. Well, it's gonna happen. Taylor Swift isn't in my iTunes, but I will possibly admit to a little wrecking ball. <laughs> he almost made me spit my coffee out. <laughs> it's a true story, man. I was like, well, I kind of do like this song, all right? All right, I'll put that one in there. Oh, I just picture you riding down the road, just singing a ballad. I'm like a wrecking ball. <laughs> get a taco always two there are a master and an apprentice hey so before we get too out of control here in our uh, smack talk why don't we tell everyone what they can expect when we actually get to the church planning talk so our topic today is courtesy of mr robert frazier who wrote us in and said how do you deal with dissent on your core team so you're getting ready to church plant and uh, kind of bust loose, and how do you keep everyone on target, focus, a little bit of team dynamics? That's what we'll be talking about today. I love it. So uh, we did get a review, and as you guys should know by this point in listening to the podcast, anytime you give us a positive five-star review, we give you free swag, because that's the kind of guys we are. So this one comes in from Steve from the Marshall Islands. He wrote, I love the smack talk. As a missionary here in the Marshall Islands, the smack talk certainly lifts my spirit for the day. And let me just say, that's what Peyton and I are all about, lifting your spirits. These two guys really bring to life the gospel by showing real life, even in their smack talk. Seriously, though, the content after the warm-up was awesome. Great job on episode 172 on the Holy Spirit. By the way, we've had a lot of people say that about the, 
the 172 episode. Mm. Uh, rock solid on target and easy to understand. Oh, by the way, I'd subscribed on iTunes just to do the review. Normally, I get you on Pocket Casts, which uh, I didn't even know we were on Pocket Casts, but that's I awesome. Did, I didn't even know what that was. Go go figure. The missionary knows knows more about pop culture than than I do. What's wrong with me? I know. There you go. So, Steve, just for you, hopefully you've got an Android at least or um, an iPhone. Either one of those. If you log into that, uh, download the Church Planner magazine. If you haven't already, when you do that and you open up the app, there is a little gear column or little gear icon, I should say, in the bottom right corner. Tap on that. It says connect with us here. Hit that button. That's going to send us your device token, and we are going to send you a couple of the free reports in there. Uh, well, they're not free. They're paid reports, but we're going to send them to you for free. One is uh, how to mail out 152,143 promotional church postcards for free. And the other one is taking no man's land. So uh, go ahead and do that, and we'll get you those for free. And that goes out to all of you. If you want to leave us a review, for either the podcast, Hardcore Church Planning, or for Church Planter Magazine itself, which we actually really need some for Church Planter Magazine because every time we do an update, uh, Apple actually hides all of our old reviews. And so uh, we appreciate it anytime you guys just you know hit the, you know, leave a review. It'll even pull up your old review and you can just repost that one. That's cool. And that'll let everyone know this is a good magazine and they should get it. So anyway, that's all I got to say on that. Mm, that's good stuff, man. That is good stuff. Hey, and and just to say, uh, you know, I really appreciated that review. That uh, and thanks for doing what you do, brother, on the mission field uh, in the Marshall Islands. There, um, just man, big respect. I love, love, love missionaries. Um, to be honest, missionaries are probably the reason I do what I do. It's the reason I do stuff um, on this podcast uh, for free. Um, it's the reason why, I mean, podcasts are free, but it's the reason I spend time doing a lot of stuff to get things into your hands because I was a missionary and there's not a lot out there for people that are in your shoes. And, uh, thanks for listening, man. But you are partially the inspiration for why I do this. Another way to say that is you are the wind beneath our wings. Uh, another way I would like to say it, if we were in an elevator together, I would say you complete me. In fact, I would sign it to you without even using words. In fact, if we were in an elevator together, all we'd really want to know is who would win in a fist fight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And if, and if we were just wondering about it, I might just, you know, let one go. Cause that's what you do in an elevator. Dude. Okay. So I was sharing with you that, uh, when I go to islands, which I have to go do solo now because you signed a contract, apparently. I did. So uh, so I have to go to it's Islands. painful to talk about. Let's just move on. <laughs> I go to Islands by myself now. I order the shorebird, wheat bun, no pickles, no tomatoes, and a nice tall 805. And if you don't know what an 805 is, well, that's on you. And, Firestone. Uh, and so I've been reading uh, John. It's John Burke, right? That's his last name? Yeah. His book, we interviewed him on Hardcore Church Planning uh, a few weeks back on uh, his book called Imagine Heaven, Near-Death Experiences, God's Promise, and the Exhilarating Future That Awaits You. And some of these stories are like, wow. Like, just, I don't, there's not even another word for it. So I got to read to you uh, Dr. Rawlings' story. Now, uh, 
Dr. Rawlings, uh, let's see, what was he doing? He was doing something. Uh, he didn't believe in God or the afterlife. And uh, he had someone in his office, 42-year-old man who had a cardiac arrest, arrest during a stress test. And so tell, three, tell, tell them what the book is about, because I don't think they know, do they? Well, you can't tell by near-death experiences, God's promise, and the exhilarating future that awaits you. You can't tell what that <laughs> what that's about. Well, it, it's a series of stories. Like it's 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 he interviewed how many like hundreds. Well, of he he actually read and interviewed a thousand people who've had near-death experiences, and. Um, you really just got to go listen to our podcast on it a couple of weeks back. Yeah, hardcore church planning. A couple of weeks back, we interviewed him, and he is an animal for church planning. Um, John Burke loves church planners. He's a cinder, and uh, he is the guy who came up with no perfect people allowed. That was his church. Um, a lot of people ripped him off, which he was happy for. But uh, yeah, he, this is a passion of his, and he's never had one. Um, but he's, he's passionate and he relates everything back to the Bible. So it's not like one of those guys who's like, Oh, this is the way heaven's going to be. He's like, look, let's, let's cross reference all of this with what the Bible actually says. There were angels riding unicorns. It pooped rainbows, but you're not going to see that stuff. The rainbow poop. And so, uh, so anyway, this is one of the stories. This, this was the craziest one to me. This is like in chapter two or something. It's right at the beginning of the book. So uh, this guy, 42 years old, having a stress test, has a cardiac arrest. Three nurses rush in, begin CPR. Uh, this Dr. Rawlings, he starts doing the external heart massage, but the heart would ma- not maintain its own beat. So Dr. Ha- uh, Rawlings recalls, and this is Dr. Rawlings' words, I had to insert a pacemaker wire into the large vein. The patient began coming to, but whenever I would reach for instruments or otherwise in, uh, interrupt my compression of his chest, the patient would again lose consciousness, stop breathing, and die once more. So he was dying repeatedly. Each time he regained his heartbeat and respiration, the patient screamed, I am in hell. He was terrified and pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death. In fact, the episode literally scared the hell out of me. After several resuscitations, the man pleaded, don't you understand? I am in hell. Each time you quit, I go back to hell. Don't let me go back to hell. I dismissed his complaint and told him to keep his hell to himself until I finished getting the pacemaker into place because his vein, uh, because uh, the man was serious. He goes, how do I stay out of hell? Pray for me, he begged. Hmm. Pray for him. What nerve? I told him I was a doctor, not a preacher. Pray for me, he repeated. And that, those were his own words. And then it goes on to uh, to say, you know, what happened next and he goes, uh, uh, Dr. Rawlings drew on the little bit of Sunday school he remembered. Even if he didn't believe him himself, he had the man repeat after him what he while he continued working. Lord Jesus, I ask you to keep me out of hell. Forgive my sins. I turn my life over to you. If I die, I want to go to heaven. If I live, I'll be on the hook forever. The patient uh, condition finally stabilized. A couple of days later, Dr. Rawlings asked his patient, to explain what he saw in hell, the patient could not recall any of the unpleasant events, only the pleasant ones when he again flatlined after the prayer. Crazy. Cray cray. That's all I'm saying, dude. Could you imagine that? But uh, there's a couple of cool takeaways from that. One is 
God used a man who didn't even believe in him to save another man. You know how <laughs> awesome that is? That's like, yep. um, I, I think in Sunday school, they had you say this magic prayer. Here's the magic prayer. Say it again. And wow. apparently, I mean, the man got saved. And that's what, what ended be up cool, being that. Is to contact some of these guys and to interview them. Well, I bet you we could because uh, John Burke has it on his website. He's he's interviewed him in his church and stuff. I told you my dream, my life goal right now is to get MC Hammer and Mr. T on our show to interview <laughs> on Hardcore because they're both preachers. And I told you you could probably get Mr. T, but MC Hammer can't touch us. He's too legit to quit. (laughs) So right now I'm sending a gift to everybody. That's like my new thing is the MC hammer gift. And I showed my, my daughter, she was in the back seat the other day when I was picking her up from school and I go, Hey, Lib, look, I'm going to stop light. She burst out laughing. She didn't know how cool it was. The parachute pants. Was you wearing the parachute (laughs) pants? So her first question, dad, why are his pants so big? (laughs) You're like, well, only bodybuilders wear those today. I told her, I said, you know what? That was the thing back then. Aren't you glad you didn't live then? And she goes, yeah. (laughs) So funny, man. So funny. You would have had to wear those. No choice. Pretty much no choice. Pretty much that's just the way it works. No, you know what? In in all seriousness on that stuff, it is mind-blowing. And, you know, it's uh, it's just one more bit of – you know, uh, I, I don't even want to use the term evidence because I don't think you will ever prove God's existence. And I think that people who believe that you can prove his existence, um, you know, with apologetics, um, they, they run the danger of feeling like they're always one argument away from someone's salvation. It's not a matter of reason, although the faith is reasonable everybody still has to take the data and that might be a better uh, word to use. And there's still faith, which is trust, which must happen. There is a leap of faith, which leads to salvation. And that's the interesting thing because uh, as John brought out in the interview, some of the people that he interviewed, like this one lady who was Jewish and she goes, and then, you know, I'm standing before Jesus, but I don't believe in Jesus. And so she's like, I don't know what to make of that. Like, yeah. He goes, she saw him, knew it was him, and still goes, but I don't believe in him. Yeah. Seeing is not believing. Yeah. There is there is no way to prove to someone God's existence if for them personally. Um, they There's always that thing like, well, maybe even if they saw God, Jesus said, even if someone rose from the dead, they will not believe. And of course, he's referring to his own resurrection. But in that in that micro context, it's Lazarus. Even if Lazarus comes back. Until or the rich man comes back, not Lazarus, in that parable. Um, the people might think, oh, you know, kind of like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, you're there's more of gravy than grave about you. You're a piece of undigested cheese. They think that their minds just flipped or they're having a nervous breakdown. It, you know, it, it there's no way to prove, but my gosh, for me, having had an experience, um, it, and again, if you're new to the podcast, uh, what Peyton is talking about is he died on the operating room table for about 20 minutes a few years back. So yeah. just to put it yeah. in context, people know what they mean when you say, I had an experience. 
<laughs> yeah, Peyton, we, we've all had Of which, to this day, Peyton has never told me his experience. And I didn't want to hear it for many years because I was afraid I would think he was a quack and not want to talk to him anymore. I, I could swear that you and I sat in islands one day and you were ready. You had had your 805 in hand. I think, actually, it was a long border. And, uh, or might have been a Sam Adams. But you're like, okay, hit me. I'm ready. But I haven't heard it. <laughs> to this day, I haven't heard your story. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Did you read my article on it? Yeah, but you didn't talk about it in the article. Okay. So if you guys want to read about it, I wrote about it in an article called My Near Life Experience that you can go to ChristianityToday.com, um, Leadership Journal. It, and it you actually, actually won- didn't. You talked about it, but you didn't talk about it. Like you didn't give this is what happened to me. You talked about how it affected you in the mm. article. Because you said, look, I'll be honest with you. It's too personal of a story. I'm not out to go make a buck. I'm not going to go write a book on, you know, my 90 minutes in heaven. That's not my deal. It's too personal of a story, but I'll tell you how it affected me. And I'll tell you what it's done in my life since. That's kind of how the article comes across as well. Well, That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's how you wrote the article. Yeah. Yeah. Funny, funny enough. The article actually, it won all kinds of awards. Um, it's kind of neat. I got, I got yanked onto the, uh, which editorial. means absolutely nothing as far as money. So, you know, <laughs> I know I got, I got yanked onto the team at leadership journal after writing that thing. Cause it, it won awards. So nice. kind of cool. Nice. I that was just a little bit of bragging right there. Well, you know, that's all that was. Sometimes you got to do a little bit of bragging. Sometimes I, I didn't have to say that. So I'm sorry, man. Did I totally take you off track? Cause you were going to say something about nope. all that stuff. Nope. But, uh, I have no track. Have you not figured this out? This no, but is like here's the interesting thing. With, this is like the train on the ice in Polar Express. They it's have just found, spinning around. I got to, I got to, I'm sorry. I'm ignoring you. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. They have the found guy with the ginger beard. Sorry. That sorry. about one out of every 25 to 30 people have had a near death experience. What? Yeah. It's so just three out of every 100 people. That's crazy. Is that what it Did is? you say one out of 35? One out of anywhere between 25 and 30 people. Holy cow. So three to four people. So oh, holy cow, man. Well, and that's the reason why. Because um, one of the things that we asked uh, John on the interview is I'm like, well, what about hell? Right. Because he's talking about all the good stuff. And, you know, this is what people have gone through and experienced and. And I mean, there are some frightening things about hell. And he goes, well, here's what we found statistically. He goes, about 25% of the stories that I've read have been about hell, but they are so horrific, so horrible that there is a huge amount of shame and people don't want to talk about them. Yeah. And he goes, so my personal belief is that uh, a lot more people have the hell experience, but they don't want to talk about it. It was funny because you asked him that on the podcast and well, it's because you can't never, be just telling me that everyone's going to heaven. I mean, yeah. if that's the case, why are we doing what we're doing? Yeah, no. When when you uh, when you asked, I was like, "Well done, Pete." I would have never thought to have asked that question, and um, it was his. You guys got to listen to that pod. I mean, you got to listen for John. I think we let him go almost an hour on a thirty no, minute podcast. It was only like forty forty five. Yeah. Well, you know what? I I, I can we would have gone math. an hour. <laughs> he would have. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, hey, man. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's that time. Is it about that time? California, stay away from here. Stay away from here now. Don't 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 come in here. Whatever you hear, stay away. John Doe has the upper hand. 
Oh, what's in the box? Mogiv. M-O-G-I-V. And you know, Detective Mills, you shouldn't really be afraid. Pete, tell him what Mogiv is. John Doe has the upper hand. Oh, what's in the box? (laughs) Tell him, Pete. Don't be afraid, Detective Mills. It's okay. Mogiv is an online and text-based giving solution built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. It allows your peeps to text in their tithe, or to give consistently online every single week. See, there was no sin in that. What do you mean there's no sin in that? It's it's, it's not anything to be afraid of. Come on, go digital. Oh, what's in the box? That's your favorite quote ever. It's one that I'm allowed to say with you. Not with my wife. Your wife will never listen to the podcast again. No, I have to warn her. What episode number is this? I've told her, don't listen to that episode. Well, you just tell her, oh, what's in the box? <laughs> no, I'm, that's a banned phrase from her house because I used to, the other one I used to say all the time. John Doe has the upper hand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't say that one. The one I used to say to her as well was when I wanted her to do something, I would say something like, uh, it puts the lotion on its oh, skin. Oh, a little silence of the, the lambs. Yeah. Oh, we got to That's another clip I got to add. Well, I don't know. That one, that, that might be a little bit too. I mean, I just mentioned it and I probably shouldn't, but she's like, so the, in my, in my house, there are things that cannot be uttered. And that is one of the phrases that cannot be uttered in the Jones house. What if I so do I'm banned. What that's if I banned. do a quick little mashup? John Doe has the upper hand. Where's the beef? <laughs> huh? Huh? So, but anyway, in all seriousness, guys, uh, if you need to get uh, an online or a text-based giving solution, you do want to go use mogiv.com, M-O-G-I-V.com, forward slash choich, because they are the, the good stuff. They are the peeps. Hey, hey, I held my hot little hand. Something nice. What was it, Pete? This is a game. Um... Oh, what's in the box? I have no idea what you're talking about. What was in the clamshell case yesterday? You handed me four of them. Oh. Three seconds to answer. Jump school, core team training series. Jump school, the musical. Pete (laughs) sings, he dances, he spins around, he wears sparkly outfits. It's awesome. We got the, the DVDs in hand this week. The, uh, jump school study guide. Uh, I literally, before we started the podcast today, I got the uh, the uh, notice that the proof has been mailed to me, so I'll have it on Monday, and that means the books uh, will be done by the end of next week. So all of you uh, Kickstarter backers, be looking probably the following week after that. You're going to get your DVDs and your uh, signed study guides, those of you that, uh, that gave it that level. Shut up, train. Nice. I like that. And uh, yeah, so so that's going to be, uh, we're going to be rolling that out here pretty soon and letting everyone uh, participate and get their copy of Jump School Core Team Training and the study yeah, guide. Yeah, baby. And we actually do have it all written up right now. It is, it's also going to be available in our app. So in the Church Planner Magazine app, there'll be a special issue with uh, the Jump School Study Guide. We'll probably start giving that away for free too for people to leave us reviews and stuff. But uh, Yeah, man, because you can literally... Show that if you've got like um, the Chromecast, 
you can literally like run it off your iPad. If you or yeah, or the Apple your, TV. Or if you got an iPad Pro like me, you could just yeah. play the whole video right there. And yeah. read the study guide. It'll be a package. It'll have both of it right there Woo-hoo. together. Oh, man, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this to actually finally hit the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been better if it had me in it, but it didn't. It just had you. Yes, you've told me that many times. And you know how much younger you look? Because it's been that many years since you started that thing. You know what? Three years. Three years in America. That should be the documentary about the intervening time that we write once we're famous. And, uh, you know, three years in America. And it'll it'll be about how my my hair turned noticeably whiter on my, what do you call this thing? Soul patch? What do you call no, it? No, that's a goatee. A goatee? Just because it doesn't have the mustache part. You don't need the mustache part. Okay. Yeah. So could it just be a goat? It's actually just a T. Is it a goat because it's missing the mustache? Like it doesn't it have like its own flair? I started growing out. Is it a goate? I started growing out my soul patch. And I go, yeah, I'm just going to have this big blonde soul patch. And Jamie goes, yeah, blonde. If that's what you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, oh, let's, let's hear ginger. from, let's hear from Doc Brown. Great Scott, it's time for this week's topic. So, Mr. Jones, what again is our topic this week? It's funny you should ask that. Our topic this week is dealing with your dissension on your core team. So, um, you know, ministry would be a wonderful thing if it weren't for people. People just get in there. People. You know, they get in the cracks. You know, it's kind of like sand, like Anakin said, gets everywhere. I know you have no idea what I'm talking about because that's a reference to the prequels, which never happened. Organized crime. But the reality is that uh, whenever you're dealing with people, you're going to be dealing with problems. And they don't have to be bad problems. Um, Many people see small problems go to big problems because they don't understand how to deal with situations or conflicts. Or their motives aren't right. And so a lot of times when you're talking, you know, you know, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, that we believe very strongly in team leadership. We believe that that is the model laid down in the first century. We had a podcast recently about strike teams, which is when Paul would take, say, like in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, and he would be traveling with eight people in a team. And they would go out and plant and they would split off. It's a way we do it in new breed church planning. We tend to do what's called strike teams. We planted together and then we spin off from there once everybody's trained up. They get church planning experience. As a matter of fact, I was on the phone today with a church planner who's been with us in Long Beach to train. And he was just saying, I have learned so much being there. Um, he says, I'm addicted now. Uh, he comes from a big church and he says, you know what? My, uh, my wife's employed at this other church, but... Um, you know, I, I, I have to say that, uh, coming to this little church plant has just rocked my world. It's something you can't, um, learn unless you're there watching a church get planted. And, um, so anyways, the team dynamics and, and, and by the way, one of the things we often do is we bring people, uh, into our team. When they say, I want to come, uh, church plant, we invite them as a guest to our team leadership meeting so they can see it. So it, it, they know that, hey, this looks a little bit different. So these would be some of the things. Let's say you you walk into our team meeting. Um, right away, you're going to see 
that it's very discussion based. Um, we're chatting things over. It's not like a guy shows up, he's got a white piece of paper and he hands it out to everybody. He's following, you know, the rules of order. Um, any correspondence? No. Okay. Next agenda item. It's not going through all of that. What it is, is we, we, we get together and I hear from the team. Now the team is going to be made up of elders, which would be the Ephesians four, the teacher, the evangelist, the apostolic guy, the prophetic leader. Um, there's going to be a mix of guys. Not always are they all represented. But then also we're going to have the deacons and deacons are kind of like, uh, they're just people that either they're, they're not ready for eldership yet. Um, it's a, it's a difficult term deacon because it can mean, it really means servant. And what we don't like to do is give people the idea in the church that, Hey, we have professional servants, you know, like leave this to the professionals. So we, we say deacons kind of in hushed whispers, um, I've heard people use things like ministry team leaders. We just talk about the ministry team. And on the team, we make it known that there's elders. And so what happens is the elders talk separate from that meeting. Um, we'll talk on the phone a lot. We'll, we'll uh, chat things over. We keep really good communication going back and forth. And then once a month, we meet together as the whole team. That would be elders and deacons. And the elders have already kind of been praying and talking through what they want to do. And um, then we open it up to the deacons because you want team buy-in, right? The deacons are going to be the, 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 the guys and girls who are um, heading ministries or dealing with feeding the homeless or dealing with outreach. They're dealing with Sunday school. They're dealing with all these ministries that, that are going on. And I don't say programs because we're not a program church, but there are people that we have entrusted to serve the body. And so we, we call them together and we just talk to them and we, we throw out, Hey, this is what we're thinking. What do you guys think? Ultimately, the elders, cause we're an elder led church, we're going to make, uh, those decisions, um, behind closed doors. And by the way, in our meetings, um, very rarely do we decide something right then. We'll take the input and we'll say, great, you know, let's pray about that. And we'll talk. And sometimes we just know this is the Lord. Uh, you know, we'll look at each other and say, Hey, let's do this. You know, someone will say it and boom. But the reality is that, you know, it's people, it's a team. There's input, there's conversation. People can disagree. Um, and those dynamics are, are really helpful. In fact, right now, there is a big movement, um, regarding collaboration. Um, that, that collaboration is kind of the, the, the key, the old leadership was a dictatorial style. It was, I am the top dog. I am the leader. You listen to me. And, um, right now, uh, it, people are beginning to understand this, you know, this collaborative sense, this, this team working together as a team. And it, it comes from me theologically from Ephesians four, where Jesus is the head leader. Now, I, I may be the team leader. If I'm going in, it tends, tends to be in church planning. The apostolic guy leads in the beginning and then he moves on. Other people that are staying, usually then the team leader becomes either a prophetic guy, an evangelist, um, a shepherd or a teacher. It can be an apostolic leader. Lloyd-Jones was certainly an apostolic leader. Um, uh, Ian Murray brings that out. He stayed. Di Hankey, who's now the head of A29 Wales, uh, co-founded New Breed with me years ago. He thought he'd be the goer and I thought I'd be the sender. 
And uh, Di ended up being the guy who stayed, the cinder. And uh, that was a surprise for everybody. He was an apostolic cinder. Um, I would say J.D. Greer is an apostolic cinder. Um, so sometimes the cinders, uh, they go ahead and, um, you know, they're, they're apostolic. But I've got a, uh, an infographic, which really is, is quite brilliant. And it talks about uh, the traditional versus collaborative leaders. Um, traditional leaders, I'm just going to read these uh, eight points here and compare them. Traditional leaders believe power comes from their position of authority. Collaborative leaders believe power is greatest in a collective team. Now, I'm just telling you, this is a New Testament for me. Traditional leaders maintain ownership of information. Collaborative leaders openly share information and knowledge. Traditional leaders sometimes listen to suggestions and ideas from their team. Collaborative leaders encourage suggestions and ideas from their team. Traditional leaders deliver the approved solution to their team. So you deliver it from the top down. Collaborative leaders facilitate brainstorming with their team. Traditional leaders allocate time and resources only when proven necessary. Collaborative leaders enable their team with immediate time and resources. Traditional leaders adhere to specific roles and responsibilities. Uh, collaborative leaders allow roles and responsibilities to evolve and fluctuate. And I would say that's true, even in our sense, where uh, the average guy in the fifth leadership model, like ap apostolic guys, said this in Church Zero, they're Swiss Army knives. They're going to have the other four gifts in them in some way, shape, or form. But like a Swiss Army knife, their big blade might be teaching, or it might be shepherding, or it might be prophetic. Um so over the years, I've noticed apostolic guys, they start as a teacher, um, kind of like it, it, it shows Paul. He starts off it, it, at one point, it, it talks about them being prophets in the book of Acts. And then it goes on. He becomes an apostle once he's sent out and his role changes. Um, uh, traditional leaders fight fires and focus on symptoms. Um, collaborative leaders seek to uncover root causes of issues. Um, and then traditional leaders review staff performance annually based on company policy. Collaborative leaders offer immediate and ongoing feedback with personalized coaching. And you know what? Uh, it's just funny looking at that. It's New Testament based. Once you get the, the New Testament leadership thing down and you even look at how Paul led guys like Timothy and Titus, you know, you could tell Paul no. Paul says, hey, I asked Titus to come here, but he said he needed to go here. It wasn't like, oh, yes, sir, Paul, sir. Um, Titus like, no, you know what? I, I actually need to go over here and I'll be back. It wasn't like Paul is everybody's boss. When Paul talks about them, he elevates them on his team. He calls them fellow workers, partners with me in the gospel. Um, he The only hierarchy Paul seems to use um, with his team is when he speaks in relational terms like Timothy, uh, my son in the faith, it's relational and it's endearing. And I think if you lead like that, guys, you're going to find that the team dynamics in your core team are going to be very, very different. So, so let's get back to Robert's actual question, which is, what do you do when there's dissension on the team? When there's, yeah. uh, and, and let me give you a couple of scenarios and maybe you can address it. 
Yeah, and and let me say this b- before you do that. Um, it, you know, remember, I'm I'm from a medical mm-hmm. background, so I'm always going to start with preventative. You know, I'm always going to say, hey, before you get there, oh, there's yeah. stuff you can do before, right? So this is cold prevention rather than cold treatment, right? Just to use a very relevant. <laughs> <laughs> so what what would happen if uh, I'll give you an example? I was talking yeah. to a church planner whose core team, well, they had issues to say the least. Mm. Uh, a lot of very dissatisfied Christians came to this uh, core team, Ooh. and it reached the point where, um, well, I'll, let me give you let me give you one of the problems that came up. They started to discuss, and some of the members of the core team didn't even want to accept that the Bible was actually the inspired word of God. Yeah. So that obviously caused an issue. He's like, look, there's a few things that we're not going to bend on here. Um, the Bible being one of them, being, you know, the inspired word of God. Uh, how would you deal with that? How do you deal yeah. with that? So that's really good because, um, you know, I, I'm not a guy who, you know, I won't even say like I do it the right way. But the the way that I have learned to meet with people probably came about by doing it the wrong way. So, for example, um, when... <laughs> When the, I always go back to the Starbucks because my Long Beach story is even worse. Um, and, and that'll be relevant to this discussion. The Starbucks story was we're on mission and we don't know that we're planning a church. But when it comes time to get everybody in a place where they can actually worship, um, then we have this meeting like, hey, these guys are trying to sing Spirit in the Sky on the shower. And they're asking me, did they worship wrong? So they need a place where they can worship. And so we're going to have to pull this mean, thing out of the Starbucks. You mean Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> yeah, the Spirit in the Sky by Dr. <laughs> it, I mean, and if you go back and listen to that song, you can see how a, a brand new believer to the faith, not knowing anything about worship, how that would just boom, right? Um, you know, it, it just gives itself to worship. So, um, so we met. And I provide, I, I basically, this is what I said to the team. Guys, I don't know you. Um, these are the guys that started coming along the Starbucks that, that, that were approved, right? Um, they talked to me privately and said, hey, I see what you guys are doing at Starbucks. Can I join? And I tried to talk them out of it. No, you'll screw it up. Most Christians I turned away. But there, there were a few where you could just sense like, no, they're here to be on mission. And um, some of them were charismatics, Pentecostals, reform people. Um, it didn't matter, right? And so we got together. And that first night, because we were all so different, I remember saying, guys, um, there's two things. And you, you've heard me say this. There's two things we're about. In fact, my swan song to Long Beach, I said this very same thing. It's what I always say. Um, we're, we're about two things, Jesus and lifting him up and reaching lost people. If we do those two things, Really, you can translate into loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving your neighbors yourself. Now, there is a lot of other things that people might want to get focused on, but those are the two big things. And so we translate that as to um, lifting up Jesus and reaching the lost. And if we can do those two things, and if you're happy knowing that you're coming along and it's not going to be about having Hillsong worship, it's not going to be about making this place the just rip roaringest experience of the spiritual gifts ever. And yet I believe very strongly the gifts should be exercised in the church. But I, I just tried to put everybody off. Um, 
think I told you about the guy who came early on when we started meeting on Sundays and he, he, he came up to me. It was like maybe our third or fourth week. And the temptation is always to want people. So you, you accept all of the Christians who are coming with the wrong agenda. And, 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 and normally you're the biggest problem because you're, you're whoring yourself out for numbers. You need to be able to say to people like you would a mission team. That's how you have to think of it. As if you were taking a mission team to a foreign country, you know how strict they are on mission teams. They, they, they totally, you know, they, they basically field you. They, 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 they check you out, man. They, they interview you. Hey, I don't think you're ready for this. You know, it's going to be tough. So you have to look at it as this is a mission team. And so I remember this guy coming. He saw a slide of the, the, the actor. We, someone put behind the words. It's really funny because it's so typically not us. They put a um, picture of Jesus from uh, Jesus of Nazareth behind the words, you know, like the worship screen. Yep. And, uh, and so he comes up to me and he's, he's like, I have to tell you the man depicted, you know, and he ended up playing the, the coach and gladiator. Remember right. yep. little short dude with the beard. Yep. Same actor. And, uh, he, he just said, you know, that man was a very foul man and an alcoholic and this and that. Hey, you know what? Who knows what that dude's issues were, man. That broke my heart when I heard that he played Jesus and later he, so anyways, um, but, but this guy, he was really, and I said, Oh, okay. And as I'm talking to him, I'm thinking this guy's going to be trouble, you know, right away. This guy's going to be trouble. If he's just freaking out over that. And I, I literally, I, I, I have a twisted sense of humor. And so I looked at him and I said, well, if you think that's bad and I didn't defend it, I didn't argue, I didn't, I just looked at him because I, I made a split decision. I want this guy to go away. He's going to wreck it. There's new believers here who don't know what to get mad at yet until a Christian comes along and teaches them wrong priorities and gets them mad at the wrong things. And I don't know if you notice this, Pete, but this I was thinking about this this morning. The world typically only hears us when we're being weird or when we're angry. They don't often hear balanced, bold, intelligent faith. And I thought, man, I don't want this guy. And, and I mean by that, like on Facebook, it's hell without Jesus. You know, you put some little meme on there. and Everyone's like, what in the heck does that mean? You know, or, uh, you know, you uh, or you're mad about something. You're angry over the red cups. That's what the world typically hears. And so I'm like, man, I don't want to perpetuate this. So I just told him, I go, you know what? I go, if you think that's bad, you ought to hear our view on women. <laughs> what did he say? He looked at me like, like a deer caught in the headlights, like, oh, crap. <laughs> that day, and, and fair play to him, that day, he sl- stuck a an envelope through my door at my house, resigning his, his membership. We didn't have membership, but he, he was trying to do the right thing. And I was like, you know, that's cool. That, that showed integrity. But I purposefully scared him off just because I thought, man, this is just indicative of what it's going to be like to have him. So when you take a bunch of people on like that onto your core team, just get ready. And so, so I guess really the answer to the question is you have to focus people on the mission. If you can get them focused on the mission, then a lot of the problems dissipate. 
So, for example, um, there's an old saying that says, when Christians aren't fighting the devil, they spend their time fighting each other. It's like a, a, you know, a soccer team. If you don't get them out there, a football team or even a troop of soldiers, uh, if you ever watch Band of Brothers, um, when the men are bored, they get up to no good, right? You, you have to, and the military knows this, you have to drill men. You have to keep working out some of that testosterone. Otherwise, they're going to they're gonna work it out in, in fights. They're going to work it out in, you know, whatever way the guys do. They're going to get up. They're going to go into town, cause all kinds of problems, end up in jail. So you drill men. You expel that energy. You drill them and get the, the, the right. You make them tired. But in the mission sense, it's not quite the same. In the mission, you get them on mission. And you know what happens when you get on mission and you're leading people to Jesus and you're seeing people's lives change, all that petty nonsense just evaporates. So how do you deal with it with like, let's say you're doing a a core team meeting or, you know, it doesn't even have to be a core team. Maybe it's your leadership meeting, vision meeting, whatever. And, um, and someone goes off the rails on something that's not important to the mission. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? And, and you can make a mistake when you do this. I'll answer the question, but uh, there's, there's a couple of mistakes you make when they either you deal with it head on right there in a public forum. That's always bad. Um, you start spinning your wheels with them, trying to convince them, and they just look more unconvinced, and therefore you keep going. I've done that before in meetings where I, 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 I've talked and talked and talked someone to death, and it can almost be like you're bullying them and um, because you're, you're trying to convince them in a public format. When someone does that, what I've learned to do is to thank them and say, hey, you know what, that's a really good um, point that you're raising um, we could talk about that outside. And if they go, well, no, I think we need to bring that up here. If they don't, uh, normally people will respond graciously and say, okay, just say, let's talk afterwards. Cause right now we're talking about Easter and outreach and we need to spend all of our time right now focusing on that. That's the well, best way say, to do it. L- actually, let's follow that. Okay. Cause at our so church, they say no. Yeah. Go on. At our church, we have uh, an Easter egg hunt at yeah. uh, Long Beach, which growing up, there's no way we would have had an Easter egg hunt at my dad's church because that would have been taken away from Easter, right? Yeah. So you're going to have some people who are like completely offended. <clears throat> you will. As yeah. I know, when we do the uh, photo with Santa, we have people who are completely offended. You know, this yep. is Jesus' birthday. Why are we bringing Santa into this? How do you deal with that in the meeting? And someone's like adamant, look, guys, you know, we're giving kids Easter eggs with chocolate in it. Yeah. How do you deal with it? Yeah, normally the, you know, it's always harder to fire someone than it is to hire someone. So I always say be very, very, very careful um, how, how you put someone into leadership. So, for example, you don't want someone on your team in leadership, I'm talking now, not in the church. In the church, you're always going to have this. And I always am super gracious about this. Let's say someone in our church, it's okay to think, you know, hey, Easter's evil and, you know, the resurrection day. That's what, I mean, people do that stuff. And what, what I've learned to do over the years, and we got this our first year we did the Easter egg hunt. I, I took someone aside. It wasn't in the leadership meeting, but I took them aside and I said, hey, I totally respect that you think that, you know, it, it really shows me you want to keep Jesus central. And then I say, can you trust me that I do too? But 
that this is what the world is thinking about. And we can meet them there. We can literally meet them on the the thing that they're using because they're not thinking about Jesus. You are. And he's the main thing in your life. But how can we bring these people that are willing to join us for Easter? How can we bring them in front of Jesus? This is an opportunity. I'm thinking like a missionary, right? This is a missional strategy. So can you trust me on this? And I would tell him, hey, when I was in Wales, you know, in a, in a country that had 1.6% church attendance, we got them talking about Da Vinci Code. And none of us would endorse that book as being legit, but I'd throw down a meeting on that in a heartbeat. And the next book that comes out like that, if I needed to meet, reach people through a reading group, I'd use that because it's a tool. And so please understand that we're going to preach the resurrection. Anyone who comes through those doors is going to hear the gospel. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to use Easter egg hunts to get them to hear the gospel. And I, and then I ask him, if you have a better strategy than that, let me know and we'll go for it. And normally people go, no, I can see that. I can see that. But I, I first acknowledge their conviction and I, and I usually throw this saying around because I want people to know it's okay to have different convictions in whatever church I pastor. We don't have to agree. Um, but, but the mission is first. Right. So everything filters back into mission. So I'll say this to him. I'll say, you know what? We don't get to choose our convictions. You and I can sit down and we can talk about food sacrifice to idols. That was a New Testament issue where believers disagreed and they just had to respect one another on their differences. And so this is one of those times where I'm going to ask you. And I, even if they're like, I can't, I'll say, well, look, I don't want to lose you, but maybe that Sunday, maybe you can't be here for that. And you know what? That's okay. You know, maybe that's food sacrifice to idols where we're going to reach someone. It's just too much for you. And I hope not. But you know what? I hope that's an area you can grow in. But if you can't, hey, we're family, right? And if you approach it that way, normally people are super cool about it. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I know this is people. This is semi this is semi off the subject. But that's the way we roll here on the Church Planner Podcast. We were doing. <laughs> can a, I can I add can I add yeah. though onto the tail end of that? Go for it. Normally, if someone is adamant over the Easter eggs, this is just pastoral experience talking. It's normally a sin issue. Whenever I see legalism, like hardcore legalism, where they they can't budge an inch, I normally know that this now is a crutch because there's some real sin issue in the life. And the externals have become what's propping up their walk with Jesus. Does that make sense? Like the Pharisees. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not saying automatically, but I normally, I see a spiritual sickness like, okay, they, they can't see how we're going to reach these people. But if they're clinging tenaciously to some form of legalism, then I, then yeah. I start smelling a rat. I was just going to say, I remember one of our vision meetings um, at Long Beach. This is after, you know, the the church plant had been established for probably two years at this point. And uh, it was one of the annual vision meetings. And you uh, allow anyone to come to it. You know, it was yeah. like after the service, like, hey, anyone can come. I encourage everybody to come to it. And we had this guy who I'd never seen before. Uh, an older gentleman had a walker and uh, the subject of baptism came up and, and he goes, Oh, uh, how often do you have to have your, your baptism renewed? You know, he was like, 
I don't know if you remember that, but he's like, you know, you got to do this every couple of years or, you know. And I remember in that moment loving that church. I was like, we have the problem where someone is so new and we let them come to our vision meeting. They're like, how often you got to get baptized? You know, when you got to renew that sucker, (laughs) like the DMV, you know, I got to, I got to, you know, re-up my license every five years. What's the deal? I I loved it, it, man. I was like, it's kind of like new breed, man. The the stuff we hear. Um, I was talking with Tyrone yesterday and he said that he was sharing with you about the, uh, the girl that was bringing drugs into church. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's got the, uh, he was thinking she had mafia connections to Russian, Russian mafia. Cause he's down in Florida, man. He's down in, uh, you know, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, and and he, he he his new policy is if you bring your church your drugs to church, they're mine. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's if you drop something out of your pocket that's illegal, it's now mine at church. <laughs> so you drop your coke, you drop your your gun, you drop anything, it's now his. <laughs> now you know that you are a frontline church when you're enacting policies like that. What's funny is he's in my mastermind group, right? And the rest of the mastermind group is not church planners, right? They're business owners. And so he's like, yeah, well, you know, after the mastermind group today, I got to go, uh, I got to go buy a gun. <laughs> and the rest of the group's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, dude, there's, there's gunfights out in front of my house all the time. I need to protect my family. Yeah. And so one of the guys is like, look, I don't think you should be living there. I mean, think <laughs> about how this is messing up your life and blah, blah, blah. And he's like. Uh, no, this is exactly where I should be living. But, you know, like, they don't get it, right? Because no. they're not a church planner. They totally no. don't get it at all. And they're like, well, would you have a problem killing someone? He goes, look, if it's my family or you, it's you. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I mean, I don't have a problem. Spoken like a church planner. Everyone's welcome into my house for church, but you pull a gun on my family, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yes, policies of a frontline church planner. <laughs> I, I see all the stuff on Facebook where you can't say stuff like that. And it's all so PC on Facebook right now. And I'll see leaders, you know, bopping out stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, that's so PC, you know. But uh, but yeah, honestly, if uh, if you're going to hurt my family, I don't own a gun. But shoot, man, no contest. You know, you come after my wife. Mm. I see. Mm. It's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. It, it should be. And God's put that in you as a man. You are meant to be the protector yeah. as a man. Yeah. And, you know, hey, that's just another thing we can disagree on, I suppose. But, but yeah, um, and, and here's the thing. You mentioned a good point, Pete. Vision meetings. Got to have them. You can't assume that everybody um, has the vision and the mission down. And if they do, you can't assume that they don't forget it because they do. Even you, if you're not regularly thinking these things through. And of course, uh, I would love to play on a future podcast, our, um, my, my swan song to long beach, um, where I didn't, I didn't talk about the fact, guys, I'm not really going to be here more than a few times a year. But, um, what, what I did is I just, I didn't make it about me. I made it about the vision and the mission. And I re-preached that and I did it. I broke the sermon down as my maxims, that I give my catchphrases, the, 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 the slogans, the things that I say, Hey, only three things need to happen today. We need to hear from God. He needs to hear from us and we need to hear from each other. And I went through that whole thing. So your vision meeting, what you're really doing is you're, you're resetting everybody back to why you're here. Right. And what does success look like to us? 
That's a question I'm always telling people. What does success look like to us? Well, success looks like this, exactly what you talked about. The people are so raw coming into church that they're asking those questions. Um, I have a bunch of success indicators, but, uh, but you know, you, you need to talk about these. And, and if you're looking for something that would put rocket fuel in the tank of your mission, uh, statement, vision statements, you need to pick up a book by Will Mancini called Church Unique. And it answers the question, what can we do better than 10,000 other churches? Answers the question, why did God call these people to this town uh, today? What, what, why did God call these people to this neighborhood? And it helps you answer that very, very well. And I would suggest getting that. But I think the key is just always focusing people back on mission. And if people can, it's like a company. If you were in a company and, uh, you know, the boss comes and you're like, hey, I think we ought to be, you know, you make widgets. But you go, hey, instead of making widgets, I think we need to make cheese puffs. And the guy's like, dude, we're, we're a widget factory. Well, no, it's really important. People need cheese puffs. People have to eat cheese puffs. Do you know how much cheese puffs sell a year? Your boss is finally looking and, you know, I, I think you need to go to a place where they make cheese puffs because you're really passionate about that. And we make widgets here. And I think mission, you know, and, and, and it's hard to, to argue with glorifying Jesus. And we're going to do that. That may look different, may be done different ways, but and we're going to reach lost people. And that is our mission. And if that's not your mission, there are churches that are not on either one of those missions. They're there to lift up the leader, or they are there to uh, get as many butts in the seats as they can, or they're there to run the best programs for youth on the planet. Um, they're there to, you know, on and on and on. And you know what? You should go there. If that's your passion, you should go there because you're not going to be happy here. And you start making other people unhappy here around you. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Dissension, I, it. I think, always needs to be handled with wisdom, I think that you don't engage people openly in a meeting. You just you just talk to them like, hey, you know, if they're being belligerent, you just say, hey, brother, sister, love isn't rude. You know, let's let's not be rude. Um, I had a guy um, recently um, write some stuff to me, chew me out in an email, and I had this huge response that I wanted to write back. And in the end, I just wrote back, hey, let's not do that. Let's show more respect for each other two sentences. And then, you know, I got a response back apologizing, you know, and I, I think sometimes if you can just, you know, like the soft answer turns away wrath. I think if you can, um, you know, just not engage publicly with people, not make it about your ego, just, and, and sometimes when people pose you, I know you might've come from a church culture where that's unacceptable. You dare not touch the Lord's anointed. We're on a team leadership there's automatically, um, there's a, there's a disarming sense of this isn't about this dude, you know, even the team leader, like he's not out for himself or he, he wouldn't have set up a team leadership. He's, he's here to empower us to get mission done. And it just, it feels different. I don't know how to describe it, but it just, I don't, I don't have the ego concerns that I would have, um, if I were the dude, the top dog with, you know, people under me, it's just a different feel, different dynamic. And you know, they're there because they want to get the mission done. 
Calm down, Italy, 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 Italy. They did their best, shoddily, Italy, Italy, Italy. Gotta be nice, hostility, Italy, Italy, Italy. Ah, hell, Italy, ding dong, crap. <laughs> We're probably out of time, but do you think, Pete? Does that answer about the dissension? I think it does. I think. Well, I I get where you're coming from. I think preventative is the key. Reminding people of the DNA of your vision, what you're doing. If someone's getting you know, out of control in a meeting to say, Hey, you know what? That's a great point. Let's go ahead and talk about that outside or afterwards. Yeah. And, and just, uh, cause I do the same thing in business all the time. Hey, you know, yeah. that's a great idea. Let's go ahead and take that offline. We'll talk about that another time. And, and also too, leaders get in a trap where they feel like they have to know everything and have an answer for everything. And one of the, the most helpful things on a team leadership is you get someone, people always want to trap you. I don't mean trap you, but they always want to get you to answer right then. Because if they can get you to answer right then, it's it's like a verbal commitment to something. Yeah. And I've learned just not to verbally commit. Part of it is because I have a team. And I can always say, oh, thanks for sharing that. You know, I'll take that back to the team. We'll pray about that. We'll talk about it and pray about it. I never have to give an answer now that I'm on a team leadership. And it's not deflecting, but well, I guess it is. It is deflecting, but it's deflecting for the right reason that you really do have people you got to go back and talk to. But when you're when you're kingpin and you're the boss, you got to, you know, it's buck stops with you. Um, then people want to kind of pressure you into seeing things their way, agreeing to what they want to do. And you can take it back to a group and then come back to them and say, hey, you know what? We talked as a team and we don't feel that fits in with the mission right now. Or, you know, hey, why don't you start that and let's see how it goes, you know, but uh, you don't you don't have to give an answer right then. That's important. And when yeah, your meeting, that's all I have to say about that. And when your meeting starts to go like this. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. That's that's when you know things have gone a little bit too far. That's when you're about to win. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I ordered the code red. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll put scriptures in the Easter eggs, not chocolate. <laughs> Oh, that's right. so funny. So, hey, let me ask you one final question, um, kind of related to this topic, but yet kind of not. Would you consider yourself a math pastor? Well, when you said that one in 25 to 35 people uh, have had a near-death experience, I quickly deduced that that was between 3 and 4% of the population. But that's about as technical as I get. And you know what I find really amazing is it took me a minute to actually think through those numbers. <laughs> I'm like, wait it's a second. because it came out of my mouth. He, I am he, not a numbers pastor, Pete. He said 100 out of a – wait, hold on. Okay, that would mean <laughs> – wait. It totally threw me off when you said it. Well, the reason why I bring this up, Peyton, because I know you're not really much of a math pastor, except when it comes to near-death experiences, in which case apparently you seem to be the quickest person on the draw when it comes to math. Dude, I'm like it, a chicken playing tic-tac-toe. When it comes to doing payroll and payroll taxes and your parsonage and all these other kind of bookkeeping things, how do you, as a pastor, focus on what you're good at and still get all that stuff done? I don't know much about those kinds of things. I'm, I'm Forrest Gump when it comes to that, dude. So how do you do it? I hire Lieutenant Dan. And who is Lieutenant Dan? Business. And I like to call Lieutenant Dan, SimplifyChurch.com. SimplifyChurch.com. <laughs> they take care of all the crap you don't like to do, and they do it for you. 
tax receipts, donor receipts, IRS compatibility, tithing. TM. Trademark. Yeah. I, I was just going through the list like Forrest Gump. We're, we're going to give them their do. own. We're going to give them a new trademark. We take care of all the crap you don't like. TM. <laughs> <laughs> take care of my church But they are a sponsor of the Church Planner Podcast, and we use them for our church. And Peyton uses them for his nonprofit organization, simplifychurch.com. They take care of all the crap you don't want to do. I love it, Pete. That is such a, <laughs> that is so well put. So uh, anyway, that's uh, that's all we got time for today because we're actually over over the limit. Um, any uh, any parting final thoughts? Nope. But I want to share something profound, Pete. Please do. If you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. John Doe has the upper hand. Oh, what's in the box? Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church Planner Magazine.